Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light, who is a college football editor at The Athletic. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care, Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland & Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt will be allowing parents and a small group of students for its game Saturday against Florida and Nashville. Vanderbilt has not opened up the stadium for attendance outside of students this season. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us today. Mitch is a college football editor at The Athletic. Football season has gotten very interesting in many ways. And Mitch, thank you for joining us today. Uh, No problem, Chris. Hope you're doing well. Let's start with the Vandy end. What stood out to you in the Commodores' loss to Kentucky? Um, Obviously, I would say continued offensive improvement and continued uh, poor play. On defense, um, you know, the offense is clearly making strides. And, you know, we talked about it last week. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot in your shows. The, the To me, the offensive line continues to be a pleasant surprise. I mean, not that it's a strength, but if you would have said, obviously, six months ago that X amount of players wouldn't even be on the roster, and then once they got going, the starting guards would be out, and you'd be playing with this guy and this guy, and you're still – got running backs rushing for 100 yards and you're getting over 400 yards on the road against a good defense, I think that's obviously a plus. Um, I don't know if it's been out. I don't uh, – you might know information on, on Henry Brooks, but, you know, the injury is obviously not not a good thing. But he continues to play well. And I thought a key was um, Ken Seals, 32 attempts, 
no interceptions. Now he did have a couple errant attempts that could have been picked off, but they weren't. So, um, and I kind of liked uh, going with Mike Wright at the go- in, in the red zone. I mean, it's been a problem with this offense is is when you I just complimented the, the running game, but they, they clearly have their issues in short yardage, getting a push. So when you've got a quarterback in seals who's not mobile and an offensive line that doesn't get pushed in short yardage, you got to think a little differently. And, and I'll give them credit. It was <laughs> each each possession was a little bit more difficult than it needed to be, but uh, they they clearly had a really good two point play they liked because on that fourth and goal, that's was pretty much like a two point conversion and it worked well. Um, so credit that. This is just a side thing. I, I don't know if you noticed. I thought on the the possession where they had to uh, go to replay two times in a row, I thought the spot on second down was off by a full yard or three quarters of a yard. And then that then the next play is when Mike Wright gets you know tackled at the one foot line and they have to review that. So just a, I thought there's some really bad spots in that game both ways, but that's just an aside. So and then but the defense, you're not going to win games when you can't stop anybody and. You know, everyone knows what struggles Kentucky has had, and they made Terry Wilson look good and put, didn't put any pressure on him. I mean, things were easy for Terry Wilson, so uh, I think a lot of guys could have numbers like that when they're not pressured. And you know, he made some he made some really nice individual plays, but uh, you know, Vanderbilt's been far more competitive the past two weeks. But the bottom lines are they're not winning games. Um, but but again, thir- and I know two were late, but 35 points and 400 yards on that Kentucky team is is, is pretty good offensively. It is, and one underrated element of that game offensively, because, look, this team's got some troubles. They're on defense right now, and their defense is so bad that they just can't beat anybody the way they're playing. But we talked about receiver before the season, and you look at them, and Amir Abdul-Rahman, I think that's a big performance for him because he's kind of been invisible for the last two or three games, for the most part, he catches seven balls for 89. They really need that because I think the upside with him there is bigger than anybody else at that position group. Ben Bresnahan has a good game again. I know we both like him. Cam Johnson has now caught 28 balls in the last three oh, weeks. So I'm looking in and I'm thinking that they've got some answers there suddenly. Yeah, I thought he was in bounds on that sideline play. I don't think his heel ever went down. Um on that play where they, they, they called him out of bounds. I, I understand why they did not overrule it um, on the video replay, but I, I thought he was in bounds. And, and uh, you know who I thought actually looked pretty good um, or looked fine? Mitchell Pryor at running back. You know, when they got in such a dire need there, like I'm not saying he's a guy you want to be your starting running back, but he showed a decent burst through the hole and, uh, and blocking. And, you know, for, for a walk-on, um, I thought he looked like he belonged out there. Yeah, I did too, and I, I sort of overlooked him, but I'm looking down now. He had four carries for 29 yards. He had the highest per carry average on the team, caught a ball for 12 yards, of course scores a touchdown. All of a sudden, that's a piece that might fit for them a little bit, and God knows they need all the pieces they can get. Yeah, I mean, Marlowe, I guess, evidently is going to be back this week. I, I can't imagine Brooks Henry Brooks playing, but maybe he can. You know, I don't know the extent of his injury. He looked to be in a lot of pain there. But, he, he, you know, again, Mitchell Pryor's a for a while, with your fifth or sixth running back, he is a – you can put him in the game for a couple of possessions and, and not just get absolutely killed. Um, and, you know, he's a kid from Greenwich, Connecticut. One of, one of my friends from Vanderbilt, uh, a girl I was good friends with, her her family, her kids go to Greenwich High School. And I know uh, I texted her during the game. She was, she was excited to see a, a Greenwich kid getting some carries in an SEC game. You know, one thing I just couldn't believe was Elijah Hamilton taking that fair catch at the one. That really – 
set the tempo for a lot of the rest of the day because Vanderbilt's unable to move the ball. They give the ball back to Kentucky. I'm not going to say on a short field, and maybe it wouldn't have mattered the way Kentucky was moving the ball. Kentucky might have taken over at its one and just driven 99 yards. But just the mistakes that you see every now and then from them, uh, it's just been yeah. several of those head scratchers. are like, how are they with these older kids making these kinds of mistakes? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'm not going def- if to – if I saw the play, I didn't rewind it and they didn't talk about it. I think he just kind of panicked. Like, the ball came out in fact. He should have gotten out of the way, obviously. I think – Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he probably thought the ball was going to go out of bounds and it didn't. And it came right on him. And he's like, oh, shoot, what do I do? And he just kind of panicked. Obviously, it was a bad move. And you got to you got to you got to think of all different scenarios. But um, when the ball, it wasn't like the ball was at risk of coming dead at the one. And then Kentucky could have picked it up. Obviously, it's a free ball. That ball was going at a high velocity. So he shouldn't even been he should have just gotten out of the way. Yeah, I think panic is a good way to put it. That's probably the most appropriate thing. But they just have so little margin for error, and they just can't make like, those kind of mistakes. Can't start the game at the one yard line, and, and you know it, that's not good for any offense, but one especially one that's been struggling. Yeah, and that looked like a game that got a little chippy too, because you had a lot of personal foul penalties, and they went both ways. But again, if you're Vanderbilt, you've got to know our margin for error is not large, and so we can't do that. Yeah, and Vanderbilt got away with one. Quite frankly, I don't know what preceded it. Was it Grant Miller who kind of looked like he threw a punch? Um, when Vanderbilt had the ball inside the five-yard line and they did not call a personal foul is as they were going to commercial and that obviously would have really hurt a drive because you know you go from first or whatever it was goal to go to 15 yards out there but you're right it did it did get a little chippy defense I'm just the point I don't know what they can do Um, blitz packages to maybe create turnovers is the best I can think of because I just don't think they're going to cover anybody on the back end one way or the other, so you might as well get the ball out of the quarterback's hand faster or, or try to make something happen. They, they just – their complete and utter inability to make plays on the back seven is just mind-boggling for an SEC team. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, – it hasn't been good. Uh, the, the yards allowed per play, I think – I mean, fortunately, Ole Miss is in the SEC, so Vanderbilt's not last. I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, but, yeah, you know – it's been well documented the the the, the lack of continuity right, that that hurts to some degree. It's a talent thing. It's an everything thing. They're just clearly they're they're making the, the problem is is you, you let that have that happen against Ole Miss. That's one thing. Ole Miss that against everything. Kentucky has been really really struggling. So yeah, yards per play in the SEC. Ole Miss is last at seven point two, LSU seven point one nine, Vanderbilt seven point oh three. Uh, South Carolina 6.66. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it, the problem is making average, like South Carolina, look, making an average offense look good um, and allowing big plays like they did to South Carolina, that Kevin Harris 80 yard run or whatever it was. And I think Chris Rodriguez had the big run that kind of blew the game open the other day. So that just, that can't happen. What is the least amount of interceptions you've seen an SEC team have in a season? Because they're sitting at one through six games. Uh, I'll tell you. Um, I didn't realize it was that few turnover interceptions gained. Missouri and Vanderbilt have one each. Tennessee has two. Last year, uh, Arkansas and Vanderbilt tied for the fewest with six. I'm I'm just going through. The year before that, Arkansas had five. The year before that, Tennessee had five. I'm going with the fewest. 
The year before that, Vanderbilt had five. So, so far, the past 10 years, Kentucky had three in 2013. Auburn had two in 2012. That appears in the last 10 years, last 12 years, was Arkansas with two in 2012 appears to be the fewest. Yeah, not a list you want to be on. So, yeah, and some of that is, I mean, as I said, our turnovers are cyclical. Um, and but obviously, the, the the better defenses force more turnovers. But a lot of times, they're better defenses because they do force turnovers. Again, it's it's not it's not it's not a good stat. Um, but there's to me, there's a lot of other things I need to focus on defense. Of so, you know, some tur- turnovers will happen, um, but they're obviously not forcing m- many this year. Are they last in sacks in the league after Saturday? Uh, let's check. Sacks. No, Missouri is. Vanderbilt has eight sacks. Uh, uh, Missouri has more sacks per game, barely, because they played one. Vanderbilt has eight sacks. Missouri has seven. And Kentucky has nine. Alabama only has nine, actually. So, um, a lot, you know. A lot of that is not just sacks, it's getting to the quarterback. And last year, Missouri was last in the league at 19. Vanderbilt had 20. So, because um, you think so much last year's, but during their heyday of their, you know, when Missouri had that little run in the SEC, they were, they were really good in the front seven. Yeah, it's really odd to see Missouri on that kind of a list after the defenses they've had in this decade. Yeah. yeah. Well, anything else on Vanderbilt football you'd like to talk about before we discuss some SEC? Um, let me look at the box. Just go through the box score again real quick. Um, you did mention Abdur Rahman. That was one thing. Yeah, because I remember he caught the ball. I was like, I just kind of said to my son, where's he been? Um, you know, so again, yeah, not not, not really. Um, just again, credit that offensive line, you know, undermanned. They seem to be really fighting, doing a much better job than I thought uh, they would do. Vanderbilt had five touch drives of at least 74 yards, which is obviously that that's pretty good moving the ball. Two were late, you know, two were in the, when the game was pretty much out of hand, but all points count. So, yeah, that's basically it. I think we covered it. Let's talk the SEC. Biggest storyline coming out of the weekend, obviously, is Will Muschamp's firing at South Carolina. What are your thoughts on that and where they are headed? Yeah, not a surprise there. They they really had no for positive. Um, that you know they they struggled last year, into last year made a change at coordinator, bringing Mike Bobo in. Not much. The offense had not been much better. It's a program that I follow closely because I work with the writer, the athletic, and uh, their defense has been horrible this year. They've given up. Uh, their their numbers over the last three games are just horrific uh, defensively. And you know, Will Muschamp's supposed to be a defensive coach and. I get all the, you know, you'll see on the Twitter all this stuff about, oh, you know, they're paying him X million dollars and they've had to lay people off. I get that, but they they know that they can't put the push this off another year. Push off another year, donations go down. And if, assuming there's fans in the seats next year, fans you know they're they they rely on eight thousand season ticket holders or whatever or not season ticket they they rely on filling their stadium. And they'll they'll lose that money going forward if they don't make a change. So uh, you know I, I think it was not a surprise at all. Um, you know I think a little bit of the surprise is that Ray Tanner is was, was held on to his job, the athletic director. He he hired Muschamp, and 
I, along with a lot of people, didn't understand the Mustang Empire. Like, why why do you hire a guy who did not have success at a job in your own division that has better everything than you? Like, better recruiting, better tradition, better resources. I, I don't know about resources. South Carolina's a lot of good, you know, they have good facilities, but you get the point. Um, so, you know, if you obviously that's going to come up, they just have to decide whether they want to hire a coach who, you know, who lost his job for the reasons he lost his job. And I'm talking more NCAA than personal conduct, although I think personal conduct is really the, they, they got him on that because it was a contract thing. Um, but he's a good coach, very good offensive coach. Um, you know, Billy Napier, uh, Louisiana head coach, will, will be mentioned. I've seen a lot of Jeff Monken stuff. I don't know if Jeff Monken would run something other than the option. I don't see South Carolina hiring an option coach, but he's clearly a very good coach. And as we've mentioned, you know, even, even not to contradict myself uh, about, you know, kind of saying why they needed to make the move, I, I still don't think there will be as many coaching changes this year. So I think South Carolina can kind of hire from a position of strength because there's not going to be as much competition. Um, so, you know, the, they'll, they'll get a coach that they think they can win there. It's, it's a interesting job because they've got, it's got a lot going for it. Uh, resources, commitment, fans, not much tradition other than some, some years under Steve Spurrier and obviously a lot of competition in that division with Georgia doing what it's doing in Florida doing, you know, now living up to its peak. So, you know, you, you can't really, at best, I'd say it's the fourth best program in the SEC East, but that doesn't mean you don't try to knock off the guys ahead of you. So uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll take some big swings. A lot of the talk has been about Greg Sankey not wanting to let Hugh Freeze back in the league, at least not yet. What are your thoughts and what's your information on that one? I, I actually have no information on that. I mean, um, I would not hire him if I were a school, but I would be, you know, I wouldn't hire a coach with such recent NCAA issues and, but that's just me. So, um, I can see why Sankey would do that for, you know, reputation of the league. But I think a lot of times on things like that, you, you get some bad PR for three or four days and everyone forgets about it. So, um, you know, I, I, so I can't speak to whether or not South Carolina will be allowed to hire him. If they are, I would think he would be near the top of their list. Gut feeling, when do they make a hire, and who is your guess as to who it is? Ooh. Um, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to say Hugh Freeze, you, you know, assuming they're allowed to hire. And I, the timing is going to be really weird this year because the timing got weirder two, two, three years ago when they introduced the early signing period in December. That accelerated things. But this year, most teams have games on their schedule up until then. So they want to get a new coach in because they've got 20-something commitments. Do they in the but that coach Hugh Freeze is coaching games, Jeff Monken's coaching games, Billy Napier's coaching games. So, you know, I think they made the move now to get ahead of the curve. You can you can interview people without interviewing them. You know, you can go through through search firms and all that stuff. So I'm not saying they can't like start looking for a, a coach, but I, you know, I can't see a existing head coach taking a job while the season's still going on. So. You know, I would say mid-December is when they would name a coach, and I'd say two freeze. But that's just uh, just that's me just spec. You know, following following the speculation. What's your gut tell you Vanderbilt will do, and are you hearing anything uh, industry whispers of of what might happen there? Because I think, and this is based on some information, I think that there will be a coaching change at the end of the year. This is not me reporting, uh, but just based on what I'm hearing, I think both sides are starting to figure out it's time to move on. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if you say, and again, this is not 
both of us want to make it clear we're not reporting anything and I, I don't report things you do. Um, but I would put less than 50, 50 that Derek Mason's the head coach at Vanderbilt next year, probably just kind of some of the things I'm hearing and some of the things that you've heard. So, um, I, and you know, we talked last week based on a mailbag question. I think if, if they, you know, and I'll, I'll say this, I mean, there'll be, if, and when this does happen, there'll be time to talk about Derek Mason's tenure and put it in context. But seven years is a long time for, uh, for both sides when, when the coach hasn't had a winning record, you know? So, um, uh, you know, we wouldn't need to feel bad for a coach who's been here seven years and gone to two bowl games and, and made, made a lot of money and made a lot of friends and done a lot of good things on this campus. So, uh, but again, there'll be time for that if, and when it happens, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I think there's, there won't be as much competition as normal for a head coaching search. I think there's certain years seems to be good candidates. Certain years seems to be not great candidates. I think this would be, you know, I think a guy like Clark Lee, who we mentioned last week, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, everyone knows his Vanderbilt ties. Um, I think Will Healy, the coach at Charlotte is, is kind of, I, I don't think he's all shtick. Some people might say that, but he's, he did an unbelievable job of Austin P, which was maybe the worst, even FCS program he took over and he's done a nice job at Charlotte and Charlotte. They've had a weird season, a lot of cancellations this year. Um, so I, I think those, those are two guys right off the top there. And there's, you know, there, there's plenty of others, but um, uh, it'll, in the, the, the things I said about the timing being are, are weird at Vanderbilt too. You know, it's, it's the same, every, everyone's in the same boat with, with that. What power five jobs do you think are open at season's end? Um, good question. Let me just, <clears throat> let me pull up endings here. It'll make, it'd be easier to go to, to peruse. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I wouldn't be one and done in Starkville, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, what do you think of that? You think there's a possibility of that happening? Uh, I've not heard any info on that, but it does not appear to be going well for him. What are you hearing? I mean, is it just a, a thing? Cause like you've said the whole time, he's just an odd fit anywhere. And yeah, he's had I mean, players leave. The offense is not setting the world on fire. Um, you know, I, I don't have any reason to think he's gone, but it's not the exciting brand of football they thought they were getting either. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the one and done it seems like a lot of, a lot would have to happen there. This is 100% speculation. A David Cutcliffe retirement wouldn't shock me. Duke's not very good this year. Um, they kind of tailed off in the last few years. Um, I don't see anything else. You know, Dave Dorn at NC State, they're having a nice year. They went, they crushed Florida State. They're five and three, so I don't think it's think happening there. I still, still too early in the Les Miles experiment, even though they're terrible again. So I don't necessarily see anything in the – Unless, unless, you know, Matt Campbell, if, if Michigan did something, if Harbaugh left or they, they got rid of him for some reason, I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State. So, you know, there's some domino effects, a domino, you know, the dominoes could fall that I, I'm not really taking into consideration. I'm just kind of looking at which, which schools might make a move on their own. Um, I don't see much in the Big Ten. I don't even come close to subscribing to any James Franklin on the hot seat rumors. He's in tight with the AD there. and It's just one year. They've been very good. So, um, again, I don't think there's going to be a lot. Some, you know, um, look at the Pac-12. I mean, they've only played one or two games, so it's really hard. You know, Kevin Sumlin was a guy that I don't think was on the most solid footing. They got off to an 0-1 start, but they looked pretty good, actually, offensively against USC. How much is it going to cost Michigan to move on from Harbaugh? 
Uh, again, I don't. Follow, I didn't follow that closely, but his. I don't think a lot. He makes a lot of money, but his contract. There's a big story in it. I didn't read it, but there's a big story on ESPN.com a couple of weeks ago about how he, like, I don't know if his contract goes in beyond next year. Like, he, it's not a situation where he's been clamoring like, you need to renew, you know, renew my, uh, renew my deal. It's hurting recruiting, all that. You know, most co- that's that's what how schools like South Carolina get into trouble. Um, with these big buyouts. So I don't think there's a ton of money on Harbaugh's deal, but I could be wrong there. Um, he makes a lot of money per year. So if they're just buying out his final year or two, that's still a significant amount of money. Interesting thing there is they're recruiting well, um, not necessarily in the state of Michigan, but they, their class is like number eight or nine in the country. So, um, you know, it's, but they, they, there's something wrong there because they, they are just awful. They looked awful Saturday night. They just have not been competitive in recent weeks. Their roster is too good for the way they're playing, which tells you there's something going on there. Have any games been canceled for the coming weekend? I, I could have sworn I saw that A&M's already been canceled. Is that right? Yeah. Ole Miss and A&M, which was CBS 230 game. So, I mean, you could, when we're done here, you should hop on, you know, Twitter, but there's been a lot of talk about possibly rescheduling, get, you know, that game, it's going to come to a point where the SEC needs to be sure certain teams play. Like there's some speculation that A&M Tennessee might not get played because for certain reasons, you know, because uh, um, I, I don't I'm going to botch this. I don't understand the reasoning. I understand the reasoning, but I don't uh, have all of the games in my head right now. But the fact that like the SEC needs to do a job to kind of pr- to keep sure A&M keeps playing because they're a legitimate playoff contender, um, you know, assuming that they finish second in the West and, um, interesting thing, LSU has had games canceled against Florida and, uh, Alabama, the two division leaders. So there, there could be a lot of schedule jockeying over the next, uh, you know, the next week or two to be sure the right teams get the right amount of games in. Speaking of schedule jockeying, what's the college basketball season going to look like? I don't know, man. It's, it seems like this probably isn't fair, but it seems like a lot of people in college basketball kind of have their head in the sand. and just hoping things work out because as cases skyrocket now the one thing basketball has and i think we talked about this last week is most campuses are going to be empty uh of students starting thanksgiving um most campuses are not they're continuing their online learning after that through finals and stuff so you can kind of create more of a bubble there so um i think they're still trying to most trying to start uh, what November 25th or whatever the date is. I know a lot of smaller conferences, low majors are, are changing their scheduling model where they're playing back-to-back games against the same opponent uh, on back-to-back days. So like just, I don't know, like Lipscomb would go to ETSU and play just back-to-back games and then get the game out of the way. So they're not going with the traditional schedule. A lot of conferences doing a lot of different things. So um, I've been kind of so wrapped up in the college football world that I haven't paid a ton of attention, but it's, it's, you know, I, I I know you've been busy today, but I don't know if you saw the news where the NCAA has basically said they're going to play the entire NCAA tournament in one location, pretty much going to be in Indianapolis. So they're going to try and get all 68 teams up in, you know, different gyms up in Indianapolis. Um, so kind of, I guess, kind of try and create a bubble up there. Now, that'll be fascinating. Um, and especially from a media coverage standpoint, my goodness, that'll be, that'll be wild. Um, if they let media there, you know, you never know. I'm sure right. they will. Some degree, but you know, some people have been saying they'll play some games at Butler. But then I saw Doug Gottlieb, who you know is pretty in the nose. He kind of retweeted, said locker rooms aren't big enough there, and you know, so there's there's a lot of different variables. They could play at high school gyms because there's not going to be any fans. 
Um, so, you know, like I said, a lot of different variables. Speaking of college basketball, this has taken a detour, but Anthony Stewart uh, passed away yesterday. He was UT Martin's coach. I don't know if you ever had an opportunity to interact with him. I would interview him every year for Blue Ribbon. Really liked and thought a lot of that guy and just was heartbroken to see that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know who he is. Um, and I know his son, Parker Stewart, was a kid who went to play for Kevin Stallings at uh, Pittsburgh. Um, or maybe signed with Pittsburgh and played for, uh, you know, the next year. I think he transferred back to play for his dad. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, seem you can tell just by the Twitter reaction out there, really, really well-liked guy. And, you know, obviously just a shame. I don't know any of the circumstances, but, uh, real, you know, 50 years old. And for guys like you and me, that, that, that hits close to home. Yeah, it really does. I got to know Anthony a little bit. Parker did play for Stallings at Pitt one year. Averaged, I think, 10 or 11 points a game as a freshman. Broke Pitt's three-point percentage record for freshman, then came back home to play for his dad. Uh, and, and a neat kid. He's already, I think, finished a master's degree. and He's got two years left to go. Um, so I know his dad was really proud of him. And that's just going to be a tough situation for Anthony and that family uh, going forward. I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, so close to the season, too. I, I haven't seen anything about him. I'm sure coach, but, you know, obviously a terrible situation. Let's go ahead and dive into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call Josh today. That number is 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com slash jdmintonhq. Josh is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. H.D. Young says, what are your thoughts on the two-quarterback system used at Kentucky? Was this really done to improve red zone efficiency or trying to keep two quarterbacks happy? To his credit, Ken Seals appears to have a good attitude about it and seemed happy for his teammate. I just wonder how useful this is long-term. Well, I, I addressed it before. I thought, it, I thought, especially for the Kentucky game, it was a good move because, again, they've been struggling in the red zone. That's been a huge issue on offense and short yardage running. So it gives them a lot more options. I don't know if you want to do it every time that you're inside the five or the 10. Um, I think they're just, they're just trying to score points. Probably they're, you know, you want guys to be engaged and and be happy. Uh, But I don't think that's, I would be surprised if that was the motivation behind it. I think they think that uh, Mike Wright's a talented kid and he threw it. I mean, it was a five yard pass, but it was through a nice ball for the touchdown there. So I I think that their only motivation was to, to be more efficient in the red zone. S.R. Kane says, what is the ceiling and floor for this basketball team and a bold prediction for the upcoming season? Uh, I mean, I think the floor is another last place finish in the SEC. Um, I think the ceiling is a flirt with the 500 record, maybe. You know, I think that the bottom, I think the top of the league is pretty good. I think there's, you know, I guess the way I should say it, I, I don't think there's a ton separating teams seven through 14 and maybe it's eight through 14 or nine through 14. So if they show improvement, then, then, then there's some wins to be had there. Uh, I think we, you know, we've talked about, I think there are more good players this year than, than previous two or three years, like one through whatever they're going to play, but clearly they're not, they're missing the top end talent um, that they have in recent years and say it all the time. Like if certain guys make years one jumps from years one 
the two that we that you see a lot in college basketball that's going to be huge if, if Dylan DeSue and I know Jerry Stackhouse talked about him last week if I, I think he's a guy that that has a ton of talent and um, I think he'll shoot the ball a lot better as a sophomore you see that didn't shoot a great as a freshman. I'm not saying he's a Neesmith caliber shooter, but he kind of came in built as a shooter. Scotty Pippen can be a uh, a better scorer. So I, I think there's some potential. And, you know, I'm interested to see DJ Harvey. There's just more, like I said, more overall talent on the roster than there's been in, you know, three or four years. Mitch, I am out of mailbag questions. Any thoughts from you or anything we didn't get into that's worthy of discussion uh, the rest of the show? Uh, I think we're good. Um yeah, no, that's all from me. All right, Mitch, thank you for joining us today. Tell folks where they can find you online. Uh, my uh, Twitter, at Mitch Light, and you can read our great stuff at The Athletic. If you're, I mean, anything. I was going to say college football fan, college basketball, pretty much any sport, uh, we've got you covered. So that's about it. Hey, thank you for joining us today, Mitch. Uh, he is Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. And we'll be back with more episodes coming later this week.